0: Right, morning everybody. Um, I can't decide if I'm going to sit down and stand up, so I might do both at some point, so don't worry. So um, we were working through the uh, Fruits of the Holy Spirit series, which, just to remind you all, but mainly to remind me, were love, joy, patience, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. So, why am I talking to you today? So, um, I I bring no qualifications to this whatsoever. I just am one of the congregation here. Um, And Rick asked me to have a look at one of them. Um, So, while he was originally reading out the list, and I was sitting there very smug going, Yeah, love, yeah, recently married, I'm all right with love. Joy, yeah, really joyful. I'm quite patient, not every day of the week, but that's quite good. Peace, I'm really peaceful. I'm known to be quite kind, goodness, I'm I'm pretty good, you know, nothing outrageous. I do have faith, gentleness, and I was like, oh no, self-control. You can just look at me and know I don't have self-control. So I thought I'm going to have to, feel convicted to at least share something about self-control. so what I decided to do, um, I have never done a, a talk at church before, so instantly thought, all oh, right, I better have a look at the Bible, obviously, start at the right place, um, and came up with a few interesting Google statistics, like the word self-control is mentioned 174 times. And I wrote that down. I was really proud of myself. Oh, great, I found this out. But actually, I don't know what it means. I don't know how many times anything else is, uh, is mentioned in the Bible, so it's a bit of a non-statistic. But it does tell us, and uh, Rick helped me a little bit with this as well, so it just does tell us that it is a a theme running through the Bible and it is mentioned a lot and it is something we should be looking to do. Um, The Bible also mentions other words very similar, so we've got discipline um, 169 times, we've got restraint 43 times, moderation 25 times, and abstain 16 times. So I looked up some verses, um, which I might just make um, a couple of references to, um, purely really to have a quick look at some of the things I found while I was having a look. So um, 2 Peter, verse 1, 5 to 9, talks about make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. Now, apart from sounding a bit like the hip bones connected to the thigh bone, which is kind of how that, that started with me, I was thinking, oh, they're all connected. Um, that's a, quite a list. Um, I'm not sure how many of us spend a lot of time in all those really good things. Um, but if you possess those qualities in increasing measure... They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. That's 2 Peter. It goes on, I found one regarding elders. This was really, um, the responsibility here for elders It's really harsh, I found. So in Titus chapter 1 verse 8... Um, They must be blameless, faithful to their wives, Um, a man whose children believe. I'm really glad I'm not an elder because I didn't get that one right. Um, One in four, 25%. Um, Since an overseer manages God's God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness nor violent, not pursuing dishonest gain there's quite a lot there if we think about every facets of our lives there's a huge responsibility but rather he must be hospitable one who loves what is good who is self-controlled there it is again upright holy and disciplined um there's a couple of others i'll i'll not read them all out because i don't want it to just sound like me reading loads of stuff out um But I noticed that some of these were sort of grouped into themes. So that was like an overall sort of guiding principle for how we should live our lives. I went on to have a look at um, one about love. Uh, Quite an interesting one about um, to the unmarried and the widows. I say, it is good for you to stay unmarried, as I do, says um, Paul. But if they cannot control themselves, they should get married. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion quite an interesting one not sure quite how quickly your passion gets from sort of naught to married and it's certainly not something that in our culture we do is it so that was quite interesting and then another one for marrieds do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time that you may devote yourselves to prayer so then married breaks are off go for it from the sounds of it so two very interesting takes around perhaps um, the sort of physical side of love. And then there was some also about self-control with regard to anger. Um, the high priest, the, these two pieces in Matthew um, and uh, are both about when Jesus was challenged when he was in front of Pilate. And Jesus was being asked, how do you respond to all these claims? For example, are you the king of the Jews? And it was said that Jesus said, I can destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Now, you know, he had every right, I'm sure, to say "But it's true and argue with them. But actually, he remained silent. And this is something that was given as a real example of Jesus exhibiting self-control. And a couple of proverbs. Um... I always like a good proverb. They're they're usually a little bit amusing, but these aren't too bad. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Better a patient person than a warrior. One with self-control rather than one who takes a city. So those are a couple of themes that I looked at regarding self-control. But what I'm actually going to talk to you about is um, my own... Experience, shall we say, uh, with my sort of struggles with self-control, shall we say, um, when I was when I was looking at this as well, instantly uh, my struggles are basically with food, as you can tell. Um, but I looked at what I thought. Right, I'll look at the sins, and I looked up the seven deadly sins, only to discover they're not actually. That's not a list that comes from the Bible. So I've always thought to myself. Seven Deadly Sins, you know. Um, But it turns out it's not. Um, They are from a grouping or a classification of vices that are within the Christian teaching, but the Seven Deadly Sins are actually not. So I was looking at the two that that hit me, gluttony and sloth, 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 laziness. Um, And I, I found a couple of things here. One says, gluttony to overindulge, especially by overeating. Um... And its advice is be moderate, exercise regularly, avoid excess in eating and drinking. I thought, if only it were that easy, (laughs) however. And sloth, laziness or lack of effort. And the advice is be diligent. Have a schedule. Don't let your life revolve around resting. Now, we live in such a busy world. I don't know how many people spend a lot of time resting. But the minute I am not busy, I'm there in front of the telly, feet up. Resting, So I feel like this is a bit of a challenge to me to make sure I don't rest too much. Um, so I'll tell you a little bit about um, my own sort of background and struggles. So I went to boarding school um, for what is now called years nine, ten, and 11. Wasn't called that in those days, but I'll not bore you with it. Um, and I didn't have a very nice time. Um, it turned out, and we didn't find this out for years, but... There'd been a social experiment going on. So whereas they had a lot of troubled kids in London, and in general they tended to put them into care, um, they'd tried this experiment with this leafy boarding school in Surrey where those kids were put into the boarding school. I was in a mixed boarding school, so I had like a boy's house and a girl's house. And the idea was those children who came from like a forces family, like myself, or those children whose parents just had money and could send them to boarding school... That would rub off on the real grainy London kids and um, you know they, they would be sort of lifted into a nice educated place. No, no, no. They ruled the roost. They bullied us. We did all sorts for them and it was, it was overall quite horrible. Um, but I did have access to pocket money because we had like a little boarding school bank. And um, I used to go and get money most days. It was 50p in those days. And I used to buy you quite a lot of rubbish. And um, I used to... We also had little kitchens and things. And I used to, like, go and get a pack of 36 Fish Fingers and just stand there in the kitchen, just cooking them and eating them, cooking them and eating them, cooking them and eating them as a way to sort of escape. Didn't know that at the time. Um, And also, when I was at home, I would cry a lot. And when my dad used to drive me back, my mum doesn't drive, so my dad used to drive me back to boarding school and I'd be sitting there just silently crying. Can you imagine how awful this must have been for my parents? I feel so bad for them now, but I'd just be like silently crying and he'd call in and he'd buy me like some chocolate bars and some snacks and my grandmother would like make me one of those tins of biscuits full of like homemade cakes and everything. And it was their way of sort of showing love remotely um, there were no phones in those days, mobile phones, so I would have to stand by a payphone once a week on a Wednesday at 8 o'clock, still remember that, and hope they would ring and just stand there and cry and say, take me away! And so how they survived three years, I really don't know. And I learnt loads, and I was probably quite a spoiled child before and I became who I am. But looking back now, I can see that my relationship with food went wrong back then, um, I then went into nursing in London. Uh, I didn't want to, but my dad said that's where you get the best uh, education. I'd always lived in little leafy villages, RAF camps with men with guns on the gate, you know, a very protected environment. And moved into um, the city square in London and was put out to a a nursing um, environment in Hackney. And as nursing students, we had to be walked by security from our accommodation to the hospital and back. And there was gun crime and knife crime. And we, we you know, when I was on maternity, we had fights between men with knives. And every single rotation was just really hard. And um, I spent a lot of time there crying. In fact, there's a theme, isn't there? Mm-hmm. I, I obviously cried a lot as a, as a team. Um, and then I was put on rotation to, in St Bartholomew's Hospital for Children's Cancer. And it finished me off. I couldn't cope. Um, holding small children down to have IV lines put in and um, the parents couldn't always stay with the children. And then your favourite child, or, or they, they used to have favourite nurses, they'd wait for you to come on shift. They knew your shift pattern. And, uh, yeah, it was too much. I had quite a sheltered upbringing and it just was all too much. So I left nursing... Um, Sadly, my favourite little chap then died three weeks later, aged eight. It was awful. It was looking back. I don't know why I'm bringing this all up, actually. It's not that relevant. However, um, at, in nursing, again, my own budget for the first time. And I used to just bury bury everything in, in eating. Got married at 21 was fine for a while and then we renovated the kitchen spent two weeks without a kitchen and i found fast food and that was only a bad thing um because i never really went back <laughs> so so uh, started to put on some weight had four children in 5 years uh, never i still haven't quite got my pre first baby body back but um she's now 29 so i kind of can't use that as an excuse anymore um, and Became a single parent when my youngest was two, so the oldest was seven at that point. So I had four children, and really I think at that point became... got an... developed an eating disorder. I don't know how how you say, you know, caught an eating disorder. No, I guess it's developed an eating disorder. Um, So I used to be quite a chilled person on the outside, but um, sort of it... On my own and in my own home, there was just no limits, really. So kids were fine all day with the kids, whatever, going to work. And then when they went to bed, um, I would just binge eat. Um, I'd get very anxious when I knew the local shop was about to close. So I I can't remember. I think maybe it was 8 o'clock back then. It was before, you know, slightly unlimited hours. And I would be physically anxious. But I haven't got stuff. What am I going to eat between now and then? I' had a food you know kitchen full of food, like everybody else, but it was those food groups that I would be nervous. I would say to the children i 'm nipping for a pint of milk, come back with a pint of milk, but in the car would be other food that as soon as they were in bed, I would just binge um, and then I developed night eating syndrome now if you 've ever seen any programs about this on television, because um, there were a few for a while, and uh, it was quite I can laugh at it now, but at the time it was quite distressing so when the idea is when your subconscious is given rain. so when you go to sleep and your subconscious takes over I would basically sleepwalk get food eat it without knowing and then in the morning I'd wake up and either my face would be stuck to the pillow with chocolate or there'd be food littered around the bed um ice cream was a good one that was a mess in the morning um but I had no knowledge of this and I tried, I put a baby gate on my bedroom door. I had, for those of you who are old enough to remember what Jacks is, you used to play this little game, you had these little spiky things and a ball and you threw them up and caught them. Well, I scattered those on the carpet in front of my bedroom door in the hope that I would tread on one and it would bring my conscious level back. Um, I had padlocks on various cupboards and would then throw the key into one of the kids' rooms because I never went in the kids' rooms at night, ironically. Um, but when you sleepwalk your eyes are open so all these things that I put as barriers they weren't barriers because I had my eyes open I just used to negotiate my way around them um, which is quite interesting really I never left the house I also used to get partly dressed I used to move furniture around I, I was quite active probably more active in my sleep than I usually am in the daytime so um, if you ever need any house movals just invite me for the night it will be great you'll be, you'll be sorted <laughs> Um, and ended up with a diagnosis of binge eating disorder and night eating syndrome. And at some point, you've got to wonder where you become actually addicted. What's the, what's the cut off? Where is the lack of self-control, moving into the mental health issues and actually an addiction? And it's, it's quite interesting when you start to pick that apart and then you start to think addictions, nicotine, alcohol, drugs where's the self-control where's the you know should we be beating ourselves up that I don't have self-control or do I use an excuse that oh now I've got a I've got a condition or a mental health situation or something and I was always on the borderline of thinking well I've got binge eating disorder so I can do it and that's just an excuse against I know that when I've got my self-control going I can lose weight so it's hard to know whether it's good to keep that as an excuse, whether to try and understand it. I've been through cognitive behaviour therapy. Hypnotherapy stopped the night eating syndrome, which is really interesting. He did a course of saying to me, just dream about it. Don't bring it into your consciousness. Um, and that actually, I've never done night eating since I had that, which was amazing. Because I'm a bit sceptical about it to start with. And since then, I've been on diets, the Cambridge diet. You don't eat. You have packets of powder. You mix it with drinks. I lost six stone in four months in 2008. Thought I'd found the answer. How can I eat nothing for four months? The minute I start eating something, I eat everything. Literally, it's like all or nothing. I am a bit like that in personality as well. I either go at something and I go at it and I go at it and go at it until it's finished or I can't be bothered to get out of the chair. So I'm guessing there's sort of personality traits. My father was an alcoholic, recovered. Um, He spent my first birthday in um, in those days in a psychiatric unit, drying out and never drank again. He then smoked 60 a day, gave that up. Uh, Later on, he became diabetic, so he had to give up sugar. And in the end, I was like, Dad, you know, what's left? You know, um, it's really hard. And he said, yeah, he said, I'm not going to live any longer, but it sure feels like it, you know. Very hard. But he had this incredible drive and this incredible self-control. And I was really hoping to have maybe inherited a bit of that as well. But obviously, I do struggle. Um, And recently this year... Jeff and I have started looking into fasting, so we've, we've gone through periods of just eating nothing at all, just water for a week, and we, we've actually done quite well with it. Until then, a bit of stress comes, we start a house move it didn't go quite as smoothly, things start rolling over, I had some issues at work, new jobs, all of a sudden, forget that, let's just eat everything we haven't eaten in the last few months. So hence, it's one of those things where you will be able to tell, and this is one of the things I find quite sad, You can tell how I'm doing by by the size of me. So if I get this right in a year and I come in with a lovely slim figure, you'll know I'm doing all right. And then the next day you'll see me, I'm looking like umpty dumpty again. You're like, oh yeah. Um, But that's kind of the thing that I've lived with all my life. And whilst I love to think that I could get over it and conquer it, and I pray about it when I remember, Um, part of me really likes it because it's my comfort. And actually, I really enjoy sitting with my feet up, eating something that tastes nice. So there's always that interesting sort of battle going on. Um, so that's partly, that's, that's sort of my, my struggles. But what I came to look at afterwards, um, so when we're talking about self-control, um, I think in common with Christians around the world, and perhaps in years gone by, I would say mothers, but this, is, this has changed now, it's parents, we tend to care for everybody else and everybody else comes first. And as Christians, we help people in the community and we help each other and everything. And, and I think sometimes we lose ourselves. So where it says in the Bible that we should love our neighbour as ourself and yet we leave ourselves last on the list, how can we truly love our neighbour? And partly overeating can be looked at as a sort of form of self-abuse, That's a bit strong, but, you know, in the extreme, it can be um, thought of that way. So I'm wondering whether, as a Christian community, we need to to learn to love ourselves first and then allow that love to be spread out to neighbours and friends. And that's another challenge for me um I'm always last I, I was saying to Jeff my hair is getting I haven't I had have my hair cut for a year but if one of my kids needed a haircut I'd get him in tomorrow if Jeff needed a haircut I'd take him I'd do anything and there comes a point where sometimes you've got to actually learn that you've got to love yourself as much as you're loving everybody else so to be honest that's that's it for now um I did have a thought of a couple of questions in case there was some discussion I quite like it when Rick does that we all sit around and have a chat (coughs) so if you want to do that I was thinking um we could talk about what other parts of our lives suffer either from lack of self-control or sometimes too much self-control so Jeff will tell you I'm borderline OCD I like everything done a certain way and it's 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 gone over the top and it's kind of like I think hopefully he still finds it cute and funny but there'll come a time when actually that becomes (laughs) extremely irritating um but hopefully he'll tell me and I'll sort it out um so one is what other parts of our life suffer from lack of self-control or too much self-control and secondly where is the line between addiction and self-control at what point should we be beating ourselves up that actually we need to get a grip Or is there more to it, perhaps, either through mental health or through addiction? That's it. Thank you very much.